you have a safety plan, you should have a language access plan. You know, if you think of it that way, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, of course this makes sense, right? And it's also a way of attracting families to your district, right? If they know that they can be served and helped um, and the parents can go to the school for ESL classes, I mean, the weight that takes off of families, right, is, is tremendous. That was Elizabeth Kuzma, an immigration specialist and the current site director at Us Together Cleveland, a nonprofit organization providing services for immigrants and refugees in the Ohio area. On this episode of The Conversation, we'll discuss their efforts to provide education and workforce services to Ukrainian immigrants and refugees affected by the Russia-Ukraine war. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to The Conversation. Uh, this is John Hamburg alongside my co-host, uh, Christina Grady-Watts. Um, and we're bringing you really cool conversations around education, workforce, and current events. Uh, we're so grateful today uh, to have us together um, from uh, the Cleveland area. Um, and alongside, uh, we've got Elizabeth Kuzma and Luda Pinchuk uh, sharing about Ukrainians here in Ohio. What's going on in Ukraine today? This is a very difficult time for people in uh, Northeast Ohio, in Ohio, in the Northeast part of the country, in the country as a whole, and for um, Europe, and even as far away as China. The destabilization of um, Europe because of this is a huge problem. And for people like Luda on my staff and in our community, it's not just you know, a world event. It's how is my sister? Is my mom safe? Where are, you know, where's my family today? Um, did a bomb hit on their block? Um, so this is a, an active war situation. And every day um, living through that is challenging. And it's especially challenging when the rest of the people around you aren't experiencing it that way. Right. So there's I think there's a lot of isolation in the feelings of how this is being processed and dealt with here in the United States, uh, which is why having uh, people from your country who are of Ukrainian descent here locally and have a having a big community is really, really helpful. Uh, but it's surrounded by, you know, many countries, um, Romania, Poland. We hear a lot about Romania and Poland currently in, in the in the war. Um, and so it's been territory that's been fought over for thousands of years, whether by the Austro-Hungarians, whether by Soviet Russia, um, you know, they've had a lot of people invade, uh, that, that area and it was, you know, under different rulership on and off for a long, long time. They separated from the USSR in 1991 when the USSR, uh, collapsed and have been an independent country since then. We know in 2014, Russia invaded Crimea, which is in the south, like southeast um, uh, part of the country on the sea. And it has still not been, um, it, you know, Russia has maintained control of it. And, um, you know, the, Mass migration out of the country because of the war has been a challenge for Europe. Um, we know a lot of people have have been casualties in this war so far. There, you know, a lot of men. There's there's not a lot of men in Ukraine, 
um, so the, the fate of the future is is very unknown. And the fate of a lot of, of the Ukrainians in the, in the United States is very unknown because they are here on temporary status. They don't have like full refugee or green card holder um, privileges. And mm -hmm. so there's only so much you can do when you don't know if you're coming or going. Um, and that in and of itself is an extremely stressful position to be in on top of right, having to live your daily life, figure out how to live in a new place. So this is not a new issue per se, um, but it is a new issue in our current geopolitical uh, system. Yeah, I can't even imagine um, what that would be like um, for them and, you know, for you, Luda, uh, being so close to that. Can you talk a little bit about what that the Ukrainian experience in Ohio is like? Yeah, so um, I, I'll start and then Luda can, can chime in. So the Ukrainian experience in Ohio um, has been one of a very classic immigration story, right? We've had Ukrainians coming to Ohio for 150 years. Um, a big community has built up in Parma um, over the last 150 years, so not a new community. And that's partly why Ukrainians keep coming uh, to Ohio, because we have long established communities. There's also special um, refugee visas for people um, from former Soviet countries, which has continued to allow um, an ongoing 20th and 21st century migration. Um, which is not the same for a lot of other European uh, countries, right? We don't have an active flow of Italians, for example, coming to make a new life here the same way. So it's a relatively unique community in that regard. Um, and so people continue to bring family members over. Um, and that's how it was, right, up until very recently. Um, and, right, because of this war, we've seen people come in who never thought they would ever leave Ukraine, right? It's very different if, you know, you have an aunt or an uncle or, or you know, a sister here and you decide that you want to throw your lot in and, and try to make that move and start a new life. It's a different situation when you're forced to leave, right? Because of, uh, you know, because of a conflict like this. And so, we're dealing with people who just like you and me just had to uproot and leave their entire lives behind. Um, so in that sense, it's they're much similar to sort of other refugee communities, um, Somalia, for example, but they're different in the sense that they're, you know, highly educated, uh, westernized people. Right. So we share some things culturally with Ukraine that we don't share with some of our other refugee communities. Um, but Ukrainians share certain things with other refugee communities that they don't share right with us as Americans. So it's a it's, you know, from a 30,000 foot point of view, it's it's very interesting sociologically like that. Um, what is so great about Northeast Ohio and cities like Chicago and New York, because you have long term communities, you have services that are built up in Ukrainian, right? There are grocery stores, there's hair salons, there's, you know, school systems that understand how to work with the community. Um, because Parents have raised children. Those children have gone on to become doctors or teachers. They can service the community in that language, right? And so you have that cultural and linguistic 
integration um, that is not the same for many of our African refugees, our Asian refugees. You know, so we have a long history, right, of accepting immigrants because of our you know, because of how our, our economy worked, we needed lots of people to make our economy work, right? So it was a great place to come. If you didn't necessarily speak English, you could get a job um, and, and build your life from there. Now, you know, we're not so heavily, as heavily reliant on um, unskilled labor. And so finding jobs that you don't need a lot of English for or finding jobs that meet your skill set, right? If you are a middle manager, for example, you know, how do you, how do you find a job that will allow you to support your family um, while you decide if you're even going to stay here for the next two years, right? Um, which is why the religious communities here are so supportive and helpful. We have many, many um, churches and you know community groups that you know are Ukrainian and can create that second home um, for families here, and then. You know, school districts like Parma have just done a phenomenal job of getting all of the, you know, aids and and teaching supplements and tutors and counselors um, to work with the ELL population, which is mostly Ukrainians, but not all Ukrainian, um, and really is an excellent model to be emulated by other school districts. Um, and because so much of a family life revolves around the kids going to school, right, it is an integral element to families being able to just live life, right? Um, Luda, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I would like to add some stuff uh, immigration related. So uh, before what happened in Ukraine, Ukrainians were able to come to United States only if they had like family members, that'll be through family reunion, through Lautenberg law as a refugees, but they also have to have somebody in United States to reunite with, or if they won DV lottery, which is green card lottery, otherwise there was no way, you know, uh, no easy way to get to United States. And now what is really like impressive to me like strangers are helping strangers to escape war and to help to uh, to help them to come to united states to sponsor them and help them to start new life it's also like not only ukrainians but americans and different organizations churches which is you know really impressive because in time of need we actually are helping each other which is how it's supposed to be i believe can you talk a little bit more about that sponsorship process what Expand on that a little bit for me. Yes. So if uh, if some family or organization or individual decides to uh, sponsor a family from Ukraine, mean to bring them to United States and to help them to start their new life here in United States, mm -hmm. they should apply for special. You know, uh, they should apply for special for visa, which is not visa. Basically, it's a parole status. And when those papers get processed and screened, so after that, people from Ukraine can actually join the sponsor in United States. It takes sometimes from three months to six months. Now it takes longer. When war just started, it was time, processing time was shorter, but now it's, I guess, maybe because of overwhelming, you know, uh, amount of Ukrainians coming to United States, it's uh, longer. On the other hand, when war just started, Ukrainians could just come to United States through Mexican border. 
and they've been paroled right on the on the on the border. So they didn't have to have a sponsor then or special, you know, or visa or anything. They just could come to the border, explain, show Ukrainian passport and uh, explain that they flee the war and uh, they've been given uh, parole status. So there was like many volunteering organizations on the border have helping Ukrainians to uh, come to United States, I mean, to apply for everything they need to apply and uh, provide them with uh, places to stay, to wait until, you know, they get this status and then help them to move through United States if, depending on if they knew somebody in some states or some cities or not, you know, so that was really kind of like helpful. And as you had mentioned earlier that Parma is really a, a, an epicenter for Ukrainians uh, finding a home in Ohio. I'm curious from your experience, uh, how is the rest of Ohio uh, mm -hmm. treating, um, you know, Ukrainians, uh, you know, as far as student learners, uh, mm -hmm. community supports, how, how is that looking so far? Mm -hmm. So we have uh, Ukrainians all throughout the state, um, all throughout Summit and Stark counties. Um, we have oh. Ukrainians, there's a whole group of them in, in Green Township um who've been there for 20 years so they're getting a lot of people um we have uh, a lot of ukrainians in columbus we were we our main office is in columbus that's where we started uh, by two ukrainian refugees uh and so then later we expanded to cleveland and then after that toledo so <clears throat> we service ukrainians all over the state um and we also, you know, the refugee immigrant organizations are all pretty well connected in Ohio at large. So it's um, easy to share information and best practices and figure out what's going on in your city um, throughout the state. So in that sense, um, you know, people don't randomly move to a place. They generally move because they know somebody there or somebody told them that they should move here. So you don't tend to have a lot of families sort of like one off in, in, in various locations, right? They, they tend to be clusters. Um, there are Ukrainians, uh, like I said, also like Chicago has a really big community. New York has a really big community. It's a big community in Western Florida. So, um, I think we're the fifth largest, <clears throat> we're the fifth largest Ukrainian community yeah. in the country. And what's really spectacular about that is think how big our population is compared to other states in the country, right? Ohio continues to hit above its weight in terms of number of refugees and immigrants coming to our state and living in our state, um, which makes it even more imperative that we as a whole recognize the value of that and create communities that effectively can support our newcomers because they're the ones, you know, paying taxes and putting kids in our schools and helping to offset population loss, for example, opening businesses. And we see this also in the Ukrainian community. Lots of small businesses have opened that are Ukrainian founded um, in the last two years, similar with, you know, the traditional sort of immigrant narrative in that regard. Um, because it's a lot easier to work for yourself in your own language than necessarily get a job at a different place where you don't speak the language. Um, and so that's one reason a lot of people start their own businesses. Um, and because we're, you know, a capitalist country, it's it's a lot easier here to start a business in many regards um, than, than many places where people come from. So it's actually an option. Um, yeah, I think, Luda, anything you want to add there? 
I want to add, like, Ukrainians uh, are really, like, hardworking and dedicated people. And uh, basically, they always look for jobs and give back to community, as Elizabeth said, and pay taxes and help communities grow and employ their own and, you know, expand their businesses. Uh, and also, they are trying to learn English you know, and feel like they belong. So now all ESL classes are full. You basically will not find any ESL class in around in Parma area, Cleveland area. I mean, which is open because like Ukrainians are so trying to uh, start their new life here and to learn, you know, language and to find better jobs and give back to community. So which is really impressive. But we would really benefit from opening more uh, ESL classes for adults. Mm -hmm. And maybe we should just talk about that um, for the sake of people listening. So that's one of the opportunities that us together helps facilitate are those ESL classes. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, how if folks want to get involved in that, how they can do that? Yeah, so we have a few opportunities. One, we have like an ESL tutor, right, for families or for individuals. So maybe you're not an ESL teacher. I totally understand that. Um, <clears throat> what a lot of people need is that conversation experience in a safe place where you're not under pressure to like get a bill paid. <laughs> you can just have a conversation um, or you can go over scripts of like, I have to go to do this in a week. Can we practice how I'm actually going to, you know, do that? Um, so individual family or uh, mentoring or, or individual mentoring is something individuals can do um, if that is of interest. Uh, we also hold ESL classes for uh, for adults. Um, we're starting a, a parent-child ESL class for people who um, don't have daycare but need, because a lot of times moms need practice, but they, you know, have their kids with them. Um, so we know intergenerational learning is actually more impactful. So this is also a great opportunity. So we we hold those classes. Um, and we also hold youth classes for like just young, young people, um, from like, you know, ages eight to, to 18. And we divide those up, you know, into, into age groups. <clears throat> so we try very hard to meet this need with the resources we have. And then of course, are always looking for additional resources so that we can provide more classes. Because like Luda said, we could hold class five days a week and have 30 people in a class every single day. Um, how is that in a, on a public school setting uh, for for your students? Um, and, and then how, how is that then being reflected throughout the state for those student learners in, in our school systems? Yeah. So. Really what Parma has done a great job of is sort of facilitating communication, right? So it's not that these students have never gone to school before, right? Um, it's that they just don't know how to do it in English yet. So a mixture of um, immersion with supplemental help in Ukrainian um, is what they've kind of nailed in terms of having aids to help them, having counselors um, where they can go and, and process the trauma that they've experienced and are experiencing, um, communicating with families, um, helping families access resources that they you know, need. Um, 
having a language access plan at large in terms of how they handle international or ESL students. Uh, you know, this has happened out of necessity in Parma. Um, what's really great about that is other communities don't have to wait until they're inundated with people to learn how to do this. So there are school districts around the state who have done this really well. Um, and working with the school districts who have done that well is a great opportunity for uh, best practice sharing. For example, I know we have some families in Orange and Orange does not know, like there hasn't been a lot of coordination at large on how to support these families, right? Um, but they don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? There's a lot of resources, whether it's through districts here or districts in Seattle or districts in Minneapolis, who are two great, great cities who have addressed language access um, in the school district setting. Um, you know, there are resources. And I know that teachers are the ones with the least amount of time to go out and seek <laughs> which is why this also is incumbent on leadership at the district level, or at least at the school level, um, to support our educators. And speaking of support for our um, folks listening, what would be a call to action for them? Or if you had listeners that were really wanting to make um, a tangible difference or support students or families from Ukraine, how could they do that? So I have a couple of ways. Luda, do you want to chime in first? It doesn't matter. You can go for a second too. It's up to you. Okay. Okay. Um, as unfun as it sounds, uh, financial support of organizations like us together is more impactful than you might imagine, right? Because it goes to support staff who do the work. So I know it doesn't always feel like it's a very direct way of helping because you don't get to actively participate in something, but the trickle down effect of that cannot be underestimated. In terms of directly supporting, there's a few things. One, figure out what your school is doing, right? Vote for levies that support your school districts. Send your kids to public schools so that you have all the students in the district attending schools, right? Um, vote for elected officials who make this a part of their platform. Um, like I said, immigration benefits everybody in any community. And so making it a part of how you decide to run your city or district can make a huge long-term impact on the health and well-being of your community. If uh, parents uh, work in organizations that are hiring, you know, reach out to organizations like us because we were at a job fair yesterday and we were told by all the people, all the employers there, we don't want you to apply if you don't speak English. I understand not every job can be done by somebody who doesn't speak English. I also understand that there's a lot, somebody who doesn't speak English, but who is learning English can contribute in a workplace environment, right? right. right? So to just straight out say you shouldn't apply if you don't speak English, um, in 2023 is just incredible to me. Um, so wherever, whatever you do, whatever little circle of influence you have, don't forget that immigrants are part of our community and make sure to include them in how you're thinking about shaping, right? Your little section and corner of the world. It's great. Lou, did you have anything to add? I, uh, I would like to say like, um, uh, 
by speaking with parents, we figure out what are most challenging parts, you know. So starting from the beginning, it's registration. Like mm. if if parents do not know English, it's really been like a hassle for them because they have to find somebody who can help them, you know, if they know somebody or if they go to school, school not always will, will be able to help. And now nowadays you don't even go to school, you have to apply online. So if parents are not computer savvy, they might not, you know, even know how to apply. So we really good if school would have some uh, maybe documentation or steps written in native language, not only Ukrainian, just in any, you know, most popular languages in Ohio, I would say. So people can go step by step and be able to register kids. If they come to us, they are lucky we helping them, but if they don't know about our, our organization or similar ones, they might struggle with registration. So that's what I say. Like I would say every school should have like bilingual stuff, which speak some other languages than English, just in case they need to help uh, students to register. Also from uh, parents, uh, communication with school parents, communication is kind of challenge because mostly school communicates with parents through emails which is in English. So if the parents do Google Translate, from my experience, it does not exactly say what, you know, was uh, meant to, to be communicated in the first place. So it's also uh, kind of like, a, you know, hard. Yeah. And uh, there's some apps which can help teacher parents communication. They translate it right to Ukrainian language, but it's not always correct. Right. So... Uh, also, if you uh, sell classes at school, kids do learn English very fast because they are faster learners than adults for sure. But ESL classes also could be, you know, extended, I would say, maybe even to parents if that's possible, you know, just to give them some basic English so they can understand. So I know many of our parents who have kids at school, they do learn with kids when kids have a uh, homework. They do try helping them and learning English meanwhile. So also, yeah. I think uh, improve culture awareness, not just, you know, around Ukrainians, but any nationality. So, you know, because like Elizabeth said, Ukrainians are, we are pretty close to American culture, but some people from different countries will be completely like, you know, lost if I may use this word. So yeah, and so this also underscores the need for, like I said, a language access plan, uh, contracting with services that provide interpreters or translators. This is actually how we started as an organization, as interpreters and translators. Um, so that is a key component of the services we provide. Um, so making sure that you have an interpreter line you can call, making sure you have somebody you can go to to get documents translated within 48 hours. Things like that are just really critical to making sure you can get resources to families in like when families need them, as opposed to just like having no idea what to do. Um, and so, like I said, at the district level, having administration understand what families need, how, how to, you know, how to access information in other languages, um, and that being built into how your, how your district functions, which is, which is relatively easy, right? You have a safety plan, you should have a language access plan. You know, if you think of it that way, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, of course this makes sense, right? And it's also a way of attracting families to your district. 
right? If they know that they can be served and helped um, and the parents can go to the school for ESL classes, I mean, the weight that takes off of families, right, is, is tremendous. Yes. What a great conversation. And, and uh, Elizabeth, I, I don't know of a school district that isn't being impacted um, by um, an increased diverse population. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't have, you know, Californians moving to Ohio. We have everybody else moving to Ohio, um, including Dublin. Including Dublin, Ohio is a great example of a very right. early white community that is now extremely multicultural, for That's example. That's right. That's right. So I, I love that um, uh, language access plan. Mm -hmm. um, really. And so the, any of the resources that you have, we will be putting together, um, on our podcast link and, uh, Luda, you had mentioned a couple of also maybe some translator apps, some of the things that you've been using, uh, within your community through us together, uh, uh, please share that. And then we will have that accessible, uh, to our listeners, uh, to be able to, uh, use for reference and, and if potential implementation. Um, and so this has just been just a very insightful um, and educational conversation. Uh, and I'd like to, again, thank um, Elizabeth uh, Kuzma, the site director for Us Together Cleveland, and a senior case manager with Us Together, Luda Pinchik, uh, also uh, the com uh, Ukrainian community liaison. Uh, so alongside myself and um, co-host Christina Grady-Watts, we sure appreciate this conversation. Um, around education, workforce, and our current events that are affecting us here in Ohio. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and we certainly look forward to talking with you again soon.